the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash the like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. And I love that we always have. Right now, I see Caleb in there just just firing up the tailgate, letting them know what time it is and saying, yes, we see everybody who's sitting here watching live. So while you're here, do us a favor. Hit that like. We appreciate it in advance. We apologize for the late start. We had to put our cupcakes away. Uh, we had to make sure that all the lemonades from the class party was all all put away so we could go. Because it's Danny Cannell's 50th birthday. Happy birthday, DK. Uh, just how, how's the day going so far? What do we have on tap? And yes, you you have it has been approved. You do not have to do the instant reaction show tonight. You, all right, you good. Birthday off from reacting uh, to the college football playoff rankings. How are we doing? That's why you guys are the best around. Uh, it's been a great day so far. Uh, it is a big one. 45 is a big number. It's a Whoa. key number, as we like to talk about the gambling uh, parlance. Um, I can't, You're lying, if you, right? If you use Wikipedia, <laughs> you can probably find out the truth on that one. I tried to delete that from the internet. But on the morning show, you guys left a great message for uh, the radio show that Dusty and I do on uh, Sirius XM. I love that. That was great. We had a lot of surprise guests uh, throughout Greg Sankey uh, joined the show. So that was pretty cool from him uh, to come on the show. He spent like 20 minutes with us. And we, you know, it was fun to get him on for the birthday, but I was trying to like, hey, we could break some news on here and have some, you know, like make it a really good birthday if you want to do that. And he did, he was very forthright. It was great talking about the future of college football, the SEC, and, 
you know, he kind of said two things that resonated because I was like, hey, realignment. I know you can't tell me Florida State's getting an invite to the SEC, but, you know, what does it look like in five years? And he basically said, you know, I don't think realignment is the bigger story. He said, I think legislation is the bigger story. Like what what does Congress, what are the, you know, what what is what does the sport look like from a NIL pay the players structure look like it really is worth going to uh worth going to listen to i'm not trying to pump another show but if you get serious xm you can listen on the app and then the other thing that i thought was big was you know asked him about michigan and the the scandal that's taking place and what are you going to do prevent that because it's embarrassing for the big 10 like all this does not make anybody look good and i'm like how are you going to prevent that and he's like essentially he's like we're going to have communication to the helmets next year you know i mean he, he didn't guarantee that but you could just tell between the lines Duh, why wouldn't we do that? It's been a long time coming. This will be the final straw. So it was fun getting him on there. Uh, he had some fun with my SEC, uh, anti-SEC rhetoric, which of course he always has. But I I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. He's you know the most powerful guy in our sport. And you know I think he should be, uh, if we ever get to a place where maybe in five years these TV deals go down you know, and there's a one big entity, I think he'd be the perfect commissioner for our sport. So I don't think it's that far-fetched either to think that he could uh, assume that position one day, and I think he'd be great for it. Do Did you see – all right, so did you see that Notre Dame has a new TV deal, speaking of that? Like in the last week or yeah. – Notre Dame on Saturday announced a new TV deal with NBC. It was set – the old deal was set to expire after 2024, and the deal expires in 2029. Which is more or less in line with when the Big Ten is up again. Huh. Boys, I think we found D-Day. I think we know when the great schism uh, might be occurring. So, I I mean, not not like a huge headline. We don't need to dive into it. Again, we're not going to do an emergency podcast from Notre Dame announcing a new TV deal. But, you know, when, when Greg Sankey's telling you on the radio show, you know, down the line, things will look different. When Nebraska athletic director Trev Alberts is like, yeah, y'all need to be ready because the next shift is going to be the big one and it's going to be dramatic. I think that the Notre Dame re-up being in line and in lockstep with all these things, uh, I think we've kind of identified that, which in one sense, you know, you could just, you know, be worried about it forever. But in the other sense, it's like, okay, let's, let's enjoy what we got here for the next little half decade or so. And then, uh, then we'll see what the future looks like. Um, Things we want to get to today, obviously, big game breakdown as we would normally do on Wednesday, doing it here on Tuesday, taking a deeper dive into Michigan, Ohio State, uh, the Iron Bowl, uh, Oregon, and Oregon State in the Civil War, and then maybe a few other matchup notes from across week 13. Uh, Any thoughts about what we're expecting in the college football playoff release? And uh, wanted to at least start with this one. Didn't get a chance to hit it yesterday, but Cam Rising says he's back for the 2024 season. So... That's one, two, three, four, five. That's going to be seven seasons of being a part of college football for Cam Rising. Oh, by the way, with Rising back, there is a potential that all 11 starters for Utah are back next year on offense. Good luck. Big Big 12. 12. Yeah. That, I think, is probably the most interesting aspect of this because they are it is going to be easier to win than Pac-12 like yes. undoubtedly easier I mean Arizona might have something to say about that Arizona said like these other teams from the Pac-12 coming in Oklahoma State like but it's gonna be 
Like, if that's the case with the success they've had, wouldn't you expect them to be preseason favorite to win it? They'll be one of the preseason favorites. Kansas State will, will be pretty heavily, fa- uh, you know, like, like liked a lot. Um, if Dion gets a whole bunch of like Louis, actual Louis in the portal with Shador, like they could be a threat. I mean, they just they have to. They're not seven or eight guys away. They're probably more like, you know, fourteen to sixteen. 15, but like yeah. the two they have are, are freaking studs. So, you know, um, Texas Tech has pretty good nil. They recruit well. Like I, I don't think they've fallen off quite as much as people think. You know, they just last year was close game luck. That'll be a really interesting conference next year. I mean, Kansas, if they can, if Daniels comes back and is healthy, their defensive talent probably can't get worse, and that's a good coaching staff if they stay. Um, I mean, that the new Big 12 is so fascinating because you don't have the bottom of the, of the Big 12 like the Pac-12. Like the, you don't, you're not going to get like a, like a Stanford-level team, I don't think, in new Big 12. But you also don't get the top-level teams. Like none of those teams are, are legitimately top 10-level for the most part, except for maybe Utah. Right. So. Do you think that, um, the, do you think that we will see as the code year cycles out, are, are we going to be, is this going to be the end? Is Cam rising going to be one of our last, like true JT Daniels esque journeymen that we have in the sport, just based on that, that be, getting that one year of eligibility cycled out of the system. Kind of. So the, I think the latest we'll have guys play is like 2026. So follow me here. If you if you played as a freshman in 20, that doesn't count against you. And then you were to have redshirted in like 21. Let's say you play 22, 23, 24. Maybe you get like a bad injury there in one of those. So you get you get like a medical redshirt type thing. And then you're able to play one in 26. But for the most part, I think I think we have maybe 25 will be the last year where we have like a significant number of the seventh year quarterbacks, maybe a couple in 26, but I'll, I'll be surprised. And so like that counts as one of their 85. Are there any bonus scholarships? No, it, it still counts against the 85. If, if you want the kid, you got to carry him on, on your roster. See, that's, I mean, I, I don't know. It's probably not that big a deal, but it does take away from most likely a high school kid that probably could have gotten a scholarship or somebody else that was younger you know, like that's the oh, thing no I doubt. think is the unintended consequence of because I hate COVID. I think it screwed a lot of teams. I think it really it screwed a lot of conferences. Pac-12, like now that we're further and further removed, look how much success they're having. They were devastated by COVID. So, like, I don't want to say I'm upset at Cam Rising for coming back. But I think the unintended consequence have been a lot of high schoolers have lost opportunity that might have been scholarship kids like friends, three stars. Maybe it would have been a good you know quarterback guy for Utah. And they're like, well, we've already got three or four scholarship quarterbacks. And now you got them coming back, like that could prevent them from making an offer. Well, Danny, uh, also think about like junior colleges, right? Uh, Carl yeah. Reed's been all over this. He's like, look, that the, these high school players have to go somewhere, and with the Power Five schools taking, you know, on average four or five fewer players, uh, that that adds up quite a bit. And then the, the G fives are doing the same. So, I don't think we've ever had more talent um, in terms of like young talent at the FCS and the junior college. And maybe trickle down to like some of the best D two levels because you got to go somewhere. And like I know some some coaches out there to think that like the JUCOs this year are kind of loaded because dudes have gone to JUCO for two years instead of going to because they, there weren't high school spots. Mm-hmm. Again, um, that's that's how, that is how you get 
Cam Rising able to come back for a seventh year. And again, with Utah making that move to the Big 12, a significant one, as the Utes will join the conference as one of the favorites. Uh, Bud, you'd mentioned, you sent over a note that we talked a lot about Arkansas, which, by the way, I saw a comment, and I didn't know if it was a compliment or a criticism, but said, wow, 30 minutes on Syracuse and Arkansas. That's amazing. And you know what? It is amazing because that is the kind of equal opportunity podcast that we have here because we really, really care about all these programs and we are very interested about the future. You know, whether you are making a move like Syracuse did with Dino Babers or whether you are standing by your head coach in a hot seat situation like Arkansas did with Sam Pittman. So you you'd mentioned that there was a, another follow up on Arkansas. Uh, what what have you learned or what's on your mind? Yeah, so I, I thought we did a really good Arkansas segment yesterday. Uh, I know it got spread around like Arkansas Twitter and Ar- Arkansas. I, I saw it on, on Hog Sports, so shout out Hog Sports. You know, Trey does such a good job over there with that site. And I had mentioned that Hunter Urasek made the hire of Chad Morris. I've been informed that's not true. However, I, I didn't make that up out of whole cloth. It's literally on Arkansas's website where he's getting credit for it, for uh, signing off on it. But they also, at the time, before he took over, they had an interim AD uh, Julie uh, Cromer Peoples, and I, she kind of gets more of the uh, credit slash blame for uh, for the Chad Morris hire. It, it, it seems like it was more uh, the Eurosac's not getting dinged for the Chad Morris hire, as I understand it. Like it's understood that he didn't really make that hire. I just want to tell Arkansas fans, like I didn't make that up. It's literally on your website. We'll, we'll put it in the sh- put it in the show notes. Like he's like he's getting credit for it. Um, well, uh, then, then he also, but also he nailed the basketball and baseball hires. So yeah, that's the he, other part. Like people are happy had, with him for that. He had the quick trigger. Chad yeah. Morris. Well, I, I believe I'm pulling this off the top of my head. I believe it was Chad Morris and Willie Taggart in the same firing season. And neither of yep. them completed their second year. And that was one time where it was a sort of a, a landscape shifting moment for me where I was like, Whoa, we've got multiple power five coaches that are not even able to make it to the conclusion of their second season and you're just already ripping the trigger. That's a we're pulling the trigger, ripping the band-aid off. That's a that's a significant uh, change in the way that we look at these situations. I uh, also like the comment section thinks that the Syracuse and Arkansas stuff was a compliment. And I think it is like what we lose in search. I think we gain in loyalty from like fan bases. We're not going to talk about you every week, but there's some shows that just will never talk about you. Right. So we'll do it if it's an interesting story. All right. Quick note on the big boys. What do we expect from the playoff rankings tonight? <laughs> um, I think Washington will probably jump the Knolls. Yeah. Uh, because they picked up a top 25 win over Oregon State. I don't think it's a Jordan Travis thing. I mean, we, we were saying this last week as well. Um, you know, which is why I think they did not do it last week because they're like, hey, if Washington beats Oregon State, we'll move them. If not, no real need to move them. I, you know, we were talking before the show. Because I, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, I've been waiting. I almost expected it last week. Um, you know, the way the committees viewed, you know, some of these wins. and But a game against North Alabama is one like, not even close to having a resume builder like a road win against a top 15 opponent. So totally expect that to happen. Is that the? Do you think there's any chance Washington could jump Ohio State or Michigan? Because I think Washington's resume is better. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like when I say that, like what's the – What's the point? They're going to play each other. One of them's going to drop below, and if Washington wins the Apple Cup, they'll just go one more notch above. So there's no real advantage to doing it now. But I think that's like while Michigan, or excuse me, while Michigan and and uh, Ohio State were playing, you know, subpar opponents. Similarly, like we're talking about, it's not an FCS program, but they were heavy favorites, 
and one of them struggled. Like, is there any chance? I don't, I don't think there is, but I think it would be, I, if I was in that room and you were going strictly resume based, like, where are we really giving Washington credit for their resume with a couple wins over current, you know, top 15 teams? It's, it's a stronger resume. And, and not to mention the conference top to bottom is way deeper than the Big Ten. So even as they've gotten into conference play, like the mid-tier Pac-12 wins are more impressive than mid-tier uh, Big Ten wins. If we're discussing this in the committee room, I, I agree with you. If we're projecting what this year's committee is going to do, I don't think that's the case. I think they've been slow on Washington. We thought that Washington might make that move before they got a road win against Oregon State. Um, you know, we saw both Georgia and Michigan very highly ranked way before they had any ranked wins. Like when we were just be like Georgia, which the best win is Kentucky and the second best win is Florida. And, and they're still ranked much higher than I would have expected if we were just going on resume. So the fact that there was so much built in there for the Bulldogs and the Wolverines since the rankings started getting released on October 31st, the fact that they've been a little bit slow to the take to move Washington up, I'm going to guess no. Um, but then there's also just maybe the explicit or implicit bias of, ah, they're playing each other Saturday. Leave them at two and three. You know, we'll figure it out from there. But I thought Ohio State's win against Minnesota, eye test-wise, is going to mean they stay at number two. Michigan stays at number three. Washington moves up to four. Florida State down to five. And then I'm not anticipating, what, any other changes beyond that? Not in not inside the top. Yeah, I mean, they'll they'll move stuff around to support their argument, right? Like, the, let's remember, six through 25 exists to justify whatever they do one through four. Again, if I Tennessee's in the top 25, I, I might go to grapevine and boycott the final rankings. I mean, Tennessee has no business. I mean, they're in the AP top 25. I think they'll drop out, how, but... How, how do you do this with Sankey on your show today, man? I know, but I mean, I think even Greg Sankey, as much as he was, and he was pretty... Tra- he's like, hey, I'm rooting for the Gators to beat Florida State. Like, he's he's Mr. SEC. He has to be. I think even he would be like, yeah, I don't know if Tennessee, like, who have they beaten? Like, they just have four losses to SEC programs. That is their only, like... We get it. But like they have no business being in the top 25. Even Jordan, you don't even get the booze from him because he knows our producer, who is a Tennessee guy, that I'm right. Like it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I will believe that it is more direct in terms of building the back to represent the front or building the back to represent the, the front or the bottom to represent the top if UNLV ends up sneaking in as a ranked win for Michigan. Okay, Mm. if you put UNLV in, then I'm going to say, all right, bud, you're right. Because I believe it's just one of those things that in your mind, if you believe that these are the best teams in the country, then you are subconsciously just not going to punish these teams for losing to them. You're going to think they're better because you're like, oh, they're not that bad because that team is so good. I think some of that happens naturally rather than more direct. But again, that Tennessee would be one where I'd be like, okay. UNLV would be another. I'd be like, okay. Feels like they're about four or five spots higher than they should be. Maybe that's just to justify the top and help them out and give them another ranked win or so. But do you think, because I know Reese Davis will ask him this, Reese is a pro and Florida State's going to be a topic. Do you think he'll allude to anything, uh, Boo Corrigan or the committee, that they're, you know, considering looking at Florida State differently 
Oh, you have Jordan Travis isn't there. Yeah. And the, the answer is going to give is going to be easy. It's going to be like, look, there's no reason for us to project how Florida state will play without Jordan Travis. We will just watch it like the committee did in 2014 with Cardell Jones. And like you mentioned on CBS Sports Network, Danny, uh, on Monday's HQ Spotlight, it's good good opponents, right? Yeah. He's, he's going to go play against Florida and Louisville. And Florida's down bad, but I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, capable athletes and, you know, a level of talent that is a good test for any quarterback. So if he makes it through it, then that's it is a credit to Mike Norvell and the roster that he's built that it while Jordan Travis is a record setting knoll for life, you know, that's this is a this was this could be a, a good reflection on the Seminoles depth. But like uh, I don't I, think I, it should matter how he even looks. I think if if Tate Rodemaker throws two interceptions and he throws for 110 yards, but they win, I don't think it should matter. And if they do the same thing against Louisville and he has another two picks and he throws for 115 yards and they win, I don't think it should matter. Like and I, like Missouri should have lost to Florida. They got off the field in a fourth and 18 and they get a game-winning kick. Well, you think Missouri's going to get that held against them? No, they're probably going to jump up a spot. You know, like I just I don't think it matters because it is a team game. You know, like and it, if you win, if you find other ways to win now, hopefully that doesn't happen. I don't think it does. I actually think he plays pretty well, but and you know, you got to win first. Like we're having all this conversation. Like if they lose, it's a moot point. But if they win and win out, I don't think it should matter how Tate Rodemaker plays. Cause that would me would be being defense is getting stops, Trey Benson's running. Like there's other things happening in order for them to win where I don't think it should matter. I think it matters on the margins. You know, like let, let's let's keep in mind the playoff is a TV product. The, net, the networks run this sport. They have to keep the conferences happy somewhat. So like the other leagues aren't going to be cool with like, hey, two SEC or, or, or two Big Ten going over an undefeated conference, you know, power five conference team that looks decent, that looks okay. If you're winning these games because you have like a special team score and a defensive score and the offense is just an abomination twice, like two weeks in a row, then I think they have to like, like do some projecting. But if you come out and you win both games and you don't look terrible on offense, then I think the guys in the room be like, all right, this is an undefeated Power Five champion. They smoked LSU much more than Bama did at a neutral site as opposed to you know a home game. They have what eight wins over bowl teams, nine, like a, a pretty good number there. So, although the Florida would not be a bowl team if they're still undefeated, so seven. Uh, if Louisville beats Kentucky, that'll be like a top seven win. I, they don't need to look awesome. They just, I think, they can't look terrible on offense. And still make it. We did mention the odds from a different network or a different sports book that doesn't sponsor us the other day on them to make the playoff. Uh, that plus 260 got hit. I bet a little bit of that. It got knocked down to plus 145. Mm-hmm. So if you run like the money line odds on FSU to to win out, it there's like a probably a seven or eight percent chance that they get left out if they're undefeated based on like the odds of them winning out versus the odds that, that Vegas currently has to make the playoffs. So it's, I think, rather small, but non-zero. Yeah, I would say that it it will probably, you, you say on the margins, it probably caps what seed in the playoff Florida State's going to get. Yes. Right. Yeah, I would be shocked if they make it and they're not three or facing Georgia. Right, exactly. All right. Coming up on the other side, normally on a Wednesday, but today on a Tuesday, we go inside the matchups. And we're going to begin 
with one of the biggest ones, not just of the week, but of the whole daggum year. Michigan and Ohio State. Where will this game be decided? We'll get into that and more next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, uh, the lock show is so busy. We don't always have time to get really inside all the different layers. And some of the big games of every week, they deserve that. That's why we give it a little spotlight. Big game breakdown. <laughs> Ohio State, two-game losing streak to the Michigan Wolverines. All that dominance for all that time. Ryan Day, pair of losses to Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, all that losing to Ohio State during his time as head coach of the Wolverines. Now with a little bit of a leg up on his rival coach from Columbus. The game is in Ann Arbor. There's a lot of stuff packed into this. Oh, and Jim Harbaugh won't even get credit for it. Sharon Moore, good luck. Good chance for you to uh, continue to build uh, your win-loss record uh, as the Michigan head coach. Danny, um, where do you want to start here? Which part of this matchup do you think is um, bouncing around your head the most when trying to figure out how it's going to go? Uh, let's start with the quarterbacks. I mean, it's the obvious one. Uh, being a former quarterback, I do think this one has – you know, some really interesting intrigue to those two players because of kind of where they stand now, like as we speak. I mean, I just gave the other day, Day Trade and Danny was ready to sell J.J. McCarthy as a, you know, national championship winning quarterback. Can he win this game? I absolutely think he can. Um, I don't think he has to throw for 300, but can he hit those one or two key plays, which he's done in the past in this game, that are going to be afforded to him? And are they going to be able to step up and do it? So he kind of comes limping into this game confidence-wise, not his best performance, didn't have to do anything against Penn State. And then Kyle McCord, all of a sudden in two blowouts, which J.J. McCarthy had early in the season. Remember, J.J. McCarthy looked like a Heisman Trophy winner when he was playing against Minnesota and Michigan State too. And so he comes in, McCord does, with a lot more confidence. So like, I'm very curious to see like which one of these ones are more comfortable in this game, which one can hit the big plays, which one doesn't make the big mistake. And I would almost say, even though like that dynamic of where they're coming into this game, I still trust J.J. McCarthy because I think he'll have a stronger run game. They've been able to control the line of scrimmage. But, man, 
uh, Kyle McCord's got Marvin Harrison Jr. Like he's got the greatest equalizer in the sport where you can almost screw up and throw it into the wrong coverage, double coverage, and he's going to make a play. You know, or they could have a play drawn up like, hey, you've got self safety help over the top, but he just kind of splits them and you're able to just throw it past everybody and he goes and gets it. Like that's the type of dan- dynamic that comes into play. So quarterbacks, clearly huge impact. I think the other big storyline is just physicality. Like how does Ohio State stack up? They've been challenged. You heard the frustration in Ryan Day's voice after they beat Notre Dame. No one, you know, Coach Holt said, we can't do this. We prove to the world we can stack up. Well, how do they handle handle, handle the physicality? Because I wouldn't be surprised if there is a stretch where Sharon Moore, I don't think it's 30, but I think you can see eight or nine runs in a row. Like mm. until they stop you, like go ahead. We're like that is the mindset that I think Michigan holds, and it's an advantage they hold over Ohio State. We dominate you guys. We own you physically. You're going to have to stop us. Yeah, I mean, look, th- this line is is getting to three now, which basically implies they're they're a coin flip on a neutral field. Um, is that a market upgrade of Ohio State or is it a market downgrade of Michigan? I oh. think it's it's clearly the latter. Oh. I mean, I, like as Ohio, I mean. Maybe we can argue Ohio State's been better in recent weeks. Uh, Henderson being healthier helps. Uh, McCord's just not a good quarterback, but Day I think is an elite play caller, and really like, and they do have special weapons at receiver. Obviously Harrison, Egbuka, you know Henderson, big time. Um, but there are some concerns I have with Ohio State's offense here. They have only played what we say three D lines that are like have like real pros on them. In numbers, Notre Dame, which whipped them, Penn State, which Penn State's D line was much better than Ohio State's offensive line. They just threw it up to Harrison like 18 times and he caught 12 of them. Yeah. And Wisconsin gave him some trouble as well. All through the preseason, we were concerned about this Ohio State offensive line. They had to go to the portal, you know, to try to get multiple starters. It was not a good portal year uh, for offensive linemen. So, uh, how will Ohio State's offensive line hold up? against this Michigan defensive front, which I do think is really good. I mean, if this plays out like the last three times this offensive line has had to face defensive lines with real pros, then Ohio State's going to have problems. Um, Michigan's secondary I don't think is quite as good as maybe it looked earlier in the season. And if Ohio State's offensive line can give them some time, I do have a lot of trust in Ryan Day to scheme stuff up, even though I don't think McCord is very good. Like I, I think Day is a, an underappreciated play caller. Um, so can they find ways to get their playmakers the ball and minimize the pass rush for Michigan? Because Michigan has real dudes up front, and I just there's sort of like a, a a breaking point where it's like, okay, we can operate against this, this, and this, but when we play a really elite level of defensive line, can we block it? I don't know. Like honestly, I, I would give Ohio State's offensive line a rather failing grade with the three good defense <clears throat> defensive lines they faced so far this year. On flip side, man, Michigan ain't, ain't blocked anybody the last two weeks. So, at least not What's in the pass pro. Pass, yeah, no pass blocked. Yeah, What's yeah. the status of their offensive linemen? Have you got any uh, update on them? Because they lost two of them, right, against Maryland? I thought the yeah. right tackle is going to play. Um, from what, and I, I, I know uh, that uh, Sharon Moore said that Wilson, the receiver, is likely to play. So, uh, I don't have much of a track record on him. Like, there's some coaches I know just lie like crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some coaches that, who I generally trust when I watch their pressers. I don't really have a track record on Shrone Moore if he's honest about injuries and pressers or not. So um, I guess we'll we'll see there. 
mean, Ohio State's got a good defense, guys. Yeah, see, that's to me, that's where I think that you're looking at a situation where if both defensive lines have an advantage against both offensive lines, yeah, then we start to move to okay, if it's going to be lower scoring, if it's going to be really like tough, who's hitting the explosive plays? Buckeyes have the hammer. Like they've got the they've got the eight. They might only need they don't need twelve catches for one hundred and sixty eight yards, but they might need like six six or seven big ones. And if they can get that, if they can get them in the right moments, then um, I I'm not surprised to see this. What was it started at four, and now it's moving the other way. Of course, I'm sure that Sharps are going to probably wait for it to get as low as possible and then hammer Michigan on game day all the way out to five. I mean, this thing's, I mean, what's your expectation? This is going to get traded all around, right? Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to go back to five. Um, yeah. But th- it, it probably three, three and a half, it'll trade. It, it won't go under three unless, unless some injury information leaks or something. Um, I, is McCarthy healthy? Mm, no, no, he not. looks dead. He is, yeah. dead. he is. I think they might need his legs uh, in this because Michigan's receivers are not—they're uh, not special. Like they don't suck, but they're not great. Um, and I think you do need McCarthy and his ability to move around some here. I, I don't know. Like we can say Michigan has not had to show anything the last two weeks, and that's factual. Like they've been able to just play defense and run the ball. But, I mean, we're we're at week thirteen, and we have some uncertainty. I think is the right word about this Michigan passing game. We don't know if if it's there, if they need it. The other thing, too, with McCord, he has not been good, you know, under pressure. Mm -hmm. When I say, like, Brit's pressure. And, you know, it's Michigan, home crowd, tough to hear the snap. Do they try to get after him? Now, you put your your secondary in a bind, especially if you're going to have to -to man-to-man somebody with Marvin Harrison Jr. But then you play that game, that race – can we get to him before he can get the ball off and, you know, impact his ability to get it there? Because if they don't, like, and I, I think they will. I think they will try to pressure him. I think Jesse Minter will try to dial up some pressures and get home because to me, like we were just talking that one of the biggest, like you've got the neutralizer, you got the equalizer with Marvin Harrison Jr. But if you cannot get it to him, that to me is the best defense for it. And I, McCord, we haven't seen him run around that much either. Like, we're talking about McCarthy needing to use his legs. I don't know if, if uh, McCord has that dimension. So I would expect some pressure from Michigan. Michigan's run defense is excellent. I I do think, Trevi, though, but to go back to your earlier thing, when I answered both, I think the upgrade of Ohio State's offense has to do with Trevion Henderson, 100% healthy, running well, and Ryan, and probably a little bit of also Ryan Day working with Kyle McCord, working with the offense, and trying to figure out. Okay, nope, I am Ryan Day. I probably have a Jimbo Fisher size notebook of different things that I would want to do with all these different weapons that I have, and we have to pare this way down. So Ryan Day is a play caller, is a game planner, being able to get sort of into his comfort zone. Again, I, I recognize that we are talking about you know, the way that they have played against Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan State, Minnesota. We, it is not you know, anything close to the level of defense like uh, a Penn State or a Notre Dame. But I do think that it is the reason why you would upgrade it is because Henderson seems fresh. Henderson seems like he's running hard. And it does seem like they understand what they want to do to complement a defense that I do think is still 
probably one to 11, the more consistent side of the football than what Ohio State has offensively. I've been upgrading Ohio State because I feel like they've answered some questions even against lesser competition. And then, like you mentioned with McCarthy, he's hobbling around out there, man. And like, yeah, it's gutsy, it's gritty, but that you just gotta, you have to acknowledge that there is not going to be the best you could possibly get out of McCarthy in that situation. I mean, look, I know, uh, I know it seems like a very insignificant thing to you guys, I'm sure. And you're probably going to laugh when I say this, but as somebody who was incredibly superstitious, like I, I used to wear the same undershirt. I'd have the same pregame meal. I'd pray with our chaplain the same way every time. And, you know, with JJ, he does, he had that little pregame routine with Harbaugh, the old the slap on the shoulders. Then he hits him on the back. Just telling you, little thing. I, to your point about bringing pressure, I think you guys nailed it. I mean, M- M- Ohio, or sorry, Ohio State got pressure against Penn State, and McCord had guys open and missed them, especially down there in the red zone. Like they they lit they they, they heated them up and he missed. Like they were just non competitive throws. So if you're Michigan, I, I guess you try to do that, but you also really want to limit the explosive plays from Ohio State. I think you want to see if if Ohio State can be consistent and drive the football. Uh, so you're probably hoping to get that pressure with the front four and not expose that secondary uh, for a lot of those one-on-ones. I, this also could be the game they miss Harbaugh in, mm. right? Because, like, is there a little pucker factor with Sharon Moore, right? You're, you're playing the blackjack card correctly. You're playing the analytics. But then you get to that situation, and you've split three times. And you read the card, and it's like, all right, this is, this is the time to press our edge. We need to double down on all three of these hands. You got the guts to do it? Because if you're the big guy, you coach in the damn Super Bowl. You don't care. Like, I mean, you do care, but like you, like you're not feeling the pressure of like, oh man, I'm going to get blamed for this loss. Screw that. If you're Sharon Moore, like this is where having an assistant be the head coach could actually hurt you because like you got to make these critical late game close decisions. And I mean, you could pull an Andy Reid like last night and just make a, a decision that really, I mean, it cuts three or four percent off your off your win probability. That hurts. Could you imagine if he just like looks at his watch and it's an Apple watch during one of those. I mean, Oh, oh Sharon Moore. Like, yeah. I mean, you don't, I mean, Harbaugh is going to be watching this thing. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine? And I wouldn't put like, how do you trust him? Be like, yeah, there's they're not going to have any input. What if he, what if there's an assistant there? Now they're not allowed to have cell phones anywhere. Right? Like, cause I remember Kirk Signetti, I think he pulled out, remember the guy had the replay and was like, look on the, on the cell phone during a game, and he actually had to apologize. Like, you're not allowed to look at cell phones. Yeah, you're not allowed to use electronic uh, tablets or, or cell phones on the sideline. That may change. We'll see. Yeah, but you could also have your your Apple Watch. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, the Big Ten rule just says he can't be at the venue on game day. Right. I mean, right, exactly. Yeah. What if he is having say-so? Hey, so, Boston Red Sox with the Apple Watches, right? right? That's what so, made me think about it. So if you're in the win, so we don't remember him like the Astros. So, so if you are a, an assistant coach in the coach's booth, you're not like your um, like honor code not supposed to look at a phone. I think in the coach's booth, they're probably not giving a crap. Do you? Well, that's do you that's how it is. You have an analyst in the booth who is just a live chat with Harbaugh. Yeah, Harbaugh like text. Don't you think analyst. like he's probably having some input though? I mean, I would be shocked if he's not. If he's truly not paying attention, if he's not doing anything, I would imagine there's in the. Michigan fans probably hate us right now, but I would honestly be shocked if he was not having any input to anybody on the staff during the game. 
Because I don't, I don't even know. The suspension says he's not allowed to be there. Does it say in the suspension he's not allowed to communicate? Not. I've. It has been two weeks since I like read the official right. Ruling, same. But um, I the big detail that I saw was not allowed at the venue of the, on game day. So I, I mean, with all of the resources that Michigan has poured into its football staffing and its scouting department. I would imagine that, yeah, there's an analyst that Jim Harbaugh can text and they can relay it to somebody who's got a headset and messages can be delivered. Te- texting would take too long. You, you need a guy with an earpiece because like like the TV copy is behind. Like you need somebody yeah. like like talking out. Okay, Jim, third and eight, pass for seven, fourth, fourth and one. What's called, right? Like you can't afford to have like the four or five second TV delay. Mm. It also could be a quick, like it could be, Every quarter, like you, hey, hey, what are we doing well? What do we need to like? Just an extra set of eyes, like, hey, we need to work that outside zone. We need to work the counter. Like, I saw this, I saw that. A halftime check in, actually, realistically, like a halftime check in makes the most sense. Yeah, agree. Like, try, trying to establish a line of communication for a fourth down call, it seems like that, that that's creating too many wrinkles for you know you. If Sharon Moore is going to be the next Michigan head football coach, he needs to be able to do this. So. Very interesting test for him. What if Harbaugh like pre-recorded a couple of different reactions and they just played the one like, like that, that fits the halftime situation? <laughs> like if he records it on a Friday, technically he's not coaching him on Saturday. They're just de- like delaying the message. Man, well, he'll, he'll probably be with the team at the team hotel mm-hmm. before they go to the stadium. He'll deliver a message. He'll get to talk to him on game day. Can he be, wait? Are the Michigan football offices I'm trying to think they're not built into the stadium? So he's probably in the facility, just not. Right. In the stadium. In the stadium. Um, what about the coach on the other side of the ball? I mean, the other sideline. What if oh, I, I got a prediction, by the way. Yeah. If Ryan Day, did you see the quote? He was on like with a local TV, you know, probably his weekly interview. And they were like, he's like, he was asked, like, what do you think? He's like, well, now's not the time to talk about this. You know, what's transpired? What are your, th- you know, the last three weeks? And he's like, well, now's not the time. There will be a time and a place to address all that's unfolded. I mean, what better place than after a win in the big house? Like, if if Ryan Day goes into the big house and wins this game, and after all the born on third base stuff that Harbaugh has thrown his way, you th- you don't think he's going to take that opportunity to say, like, WWE style, you know you're going to curse because everybody curses on TV now. There's going to be some F-bombs. Like, finally... You guys see what we've been trying to overcome, and now we have a level playing field. Now that no, now that everything's the same, we're able to win. Like I guarantee you, he's going to say something along those lines if they win. Like it's gonna. That's when it comes out. I told you know we've been trying to do all this. You know they've been cheating. We showed you what happened when things are fair. Guaranteed. All right. We so you're to- saying that Lou Holtz got off will have gotten off easy. Yes. yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And yes. he's got something dialed up, ready to go along those lines on national television as soon as it's done. And just in case you thought there was a chance Michigan was going to backdoor their way in with a loss, a close loss, he's going to kind of shut the door on that one too. It's just sometimes when you're leading a program doing it the right way, it could be really tough when there's other ones out there not doing it the right way. If you didn't see the signs that we were building something on defense and we're a tough program, the signs were there, guys. You just got to see them. Yeah. No, like uh, I, I might build a. How many times do you work the word signs or signals into that response? Like at least. Yeah. Oh, right. it's coming. Even if you don't object, like even if you don't just out outright say, like, "Hey, screw you on an even playing field. We got you now." 
I, I think you work you try to work the word signs, signals, you know. You steal. don't you don't give light to Born on third base, but you definitely try to get your shot in on the way back. Yeah. You know? We hit a home run today. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. man. That's so good. Yeah. Maybe uh maybe on the on the drive back uh on the drive back to Raleigh on Friday morning, I'll put together a bingo board. We can see how many we can hit for Ryan Day if Ohio State wins. What if Ohio State loses, y'all? <clears throat> because Did you see the fake Urban Meyer going around? No. Some guy put out a, a, a video, and Urban Meyer was sitting on Big Ten Network and like dissecting a play. But then the way it was presented, it like it quoted Urban Meyer as saying, "Ryan Day has no more excuses. If he loses this one, he's got to go." Something along those lines. And like it appeared like you were quoting Urban Meyer directly from this on-camera interview. And yet, if you listen to the interview and watched it, it was like breaking down a play. It had nothing to do with it. So Urban actually, from his official account, said like, I did not say this. No way or fashion or form did I say anything like this. But I don't think it's that crazy. Like if he does lose this game, and my goodness, like if it's close Maybe you get like more of a pass, but if you lose by 10 and you get run on again, boy, the, the cries are going to be as, as ludicrous as they may be. It's the only team he's lost to in the Big Ten. If he does, we just know how it's going to go. The thing is, last year's game, there is a read of last year's game, which almost looks fluky, where you just see all these explosive plays and you're like, look, on these six plays, it was basically all of Michigan's offensive yards. Well, then my criticism, if you're going to use that approach is, well, then the team was unprepared. That either a coaching standpoint from game plan or a coaching standpoint in terms of getting your guys ready to go, you were unprepared if you are giving up this many explosive plays against a team with equal talent. And so if it looks like that again, then it's going to get, uh, then it's going to get a little bit out of hand. What do you think, bud? What are you smiling about? No, I just think you're right. But like, I just, I think Dave's a good coach, man. I think you know he's, he's a great doing. coach. I think, I think he's a good play caller. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, if there's a job that you can argue like you really can't screw up, it's sort of Ohio State. Like, you got to be pretty bad. Like, they're never bad. Sometimes no. they're not great, but like they're never bad. I, I think Dave does a really good job. So I, I, I don't, I don't and I, I want to make it clear. Like, I'm not saying. I'm saying the reaction from Ohio State fans is going to be what we just discussed. I'm not saying he should be on the hot seat. I don't think he should be fired. I'm just saying there will be a faction of Ohio State fans who are like, oh, this isn't the guy. And, you know, he's got he had urban players when he had his best years and the further removed are. I mean, just know the narrative, how it's going to go. Man, uh, I I agree, but it's also like, man, they they were a kick away from playing for the national championship last year. <laughs> Yeah. They just had to send out a Carolina kicker. You know, if they didn't send out a former UNC kicker, then, you know, maybe maybe it would have been different. You know, that's what you're left with. All right. Big game breakdown ain't even close to done. So coming up on the other side, taking a look at the Iron Bowl, Oregon, Oregon State, and uh, some big matchup notes from Florida State, Florida, and more next did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing 
To grow in your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast and 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It is the SEC on CBS Game of the Week. It is the Iron Bowl from Jordan-Hare Stadium, the site of New Mexico State's win against Auburn, but also the site of Auburn wins against Alabama in 2013, in 2017, in 2019, and in 2021 almost getting it done 24 22 uh in extra time so um you know if you're subscribed to the cover three podcast on um on tiktok on instagram then like you might have already seen marquee cover three play which is doing pretty well 16 and 8 so far had another four and two week last week yeah I, i took uh i took alabama i laid all the points i started doing more prep for the show I feel very bad about laying all those points. I am less certain about it, but I've got nothing to to be uncertain about it except for vibes. So, um, is there an X's and O's path to Auburn being able to have this be another game that you know, maybe not an outright upset, but maybe like 2021, much closer than expected? Because again, all the way back to 2013, there's only been one year, that 2020, 2015 season, where the game in Jordan-Hare Stadium was not incredibly competitive, this point spread at more than 14.5 suggests it will not be competitive. Are you saying that maybe you don't believe that Alabama's offense is totally fixed? Like maybe some of this offensive explosion is because LSU had all four of their corners and their best defensive linemen out? Like could it be that maybe it's not completely fixed? Or maybe Kentucky secondary and team is kind of bad this year, and and vibes are not good in Lexington. I just saying, like they were not that far away from them playing a three point game against Arkansas, or them struggling against Texas A and M to score points. I I don't know. Like if you really believe that Alabama is all the way fixed, you need to lay these points with ease. You'd be betting the hell out of this game if you really think Alabama is all the way fixed. Because, like, what what good games does Auburn have? Against Cal? Like, that looks worse and worse every week. Ole Miss clearly let off the gas. And I, I don't think Ole Miss is great. But, I mean, they, they could have won by 28 if they wanted to. They basically just called the dogs off. You could say Auburn's best win is the Arkansas game, which nearly got Sam Pittman fired. 
I mean, Arkansas looks like they just didn't give a damn. I mean, that, that right. was a non like a non competitive effort from Arkansas. Um, they were still the, partying in Gainesville. The Vandy game doesn't look great. LSU was uh, was pretty non competitive. Um, I mean, again, if we think Bama is like a team that's really going to challenge Georgia, they should smoke Auburn. It should be non competitive because athletically, I mean, that's kind of what you think. I do have a lock on this game. It isn't for the full game, naturally, but you can get that on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Like Eastern it. time for the locks. Don't you? So, Bud, you sound like you do think there's a chance and that they can come up with a game plan because I, I feel kind of – now, I don't – like, if you said look ahead line, I would lay them all day with Georgia versus Alabama in the SEC championship yeah, it's, it's game. Four, it's four right now. I would lay it. You got down to three a little bit. I bet some at three. I was like, yeah, I was going to say I would, I would try to get on that too. I wouldn't hesitate at four because I still think Georgia is way better than Bama. But I feel like when I was looking at this game, trying to look at matchups, trying to think, man, like in their most successful games, like I go back to the Georgia game where they had Georgia on the ropes and they were working both quarterbacks running the quarterback. Um, I feel like Georgia, Tennessee last week when I was like, all right, let me present all these cases. But then you're like, nah, it's just not going to happen. You know, like, you know, like I was trying to talk myself into how Tennessee could make it close versus Georgia. And you're looking at like, hey, what's the 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 public reaction is going to be? Oh, it's a big number. It's on the road. It's in Knoxville. Like, I feel like the same thing is rivalry game. But I do think New Mexico State, like that loss, I think is going to have the flip effect. Like everybody's on Bama. But I just am yeah. trying to figure out scenarios where, and I do think it would have to be them slowing down, low scoring game. Can you condone? Because I'm with you. I do not think Auburn, or excuse me, I do not think Alabama offensively is fixed. I think they've really played well against way lesser competition. I think Milrow has done a great job. It's been a great turnaround story, but I haven't seen him challenged very much either. I think we can we can believe that they are improved. Because yes. Tommy Reese is leaning into what Milrow does better now, and he has stopped asking him to do the things that he can't do or just Correct. isn't feel comfortable at doing. I don't want to say can't because that implies you never can, but like currently not uh, not successful in doing. Yeah, Tommy listened to Danny because Tommy Reese is a big Cover 3 podcast fan, and exactly. Danny came out like weeks ago and was like, I can tell you what Jalen Milrow needs to do to be successful. And Tommy, because you listen to Danny Cannell, you're a semifinalist for the Broyles Award. So That's right. You know, like, credit at the speed. Yeah, sure let's, let's hear some some credit given. I did find out that the uh, our 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 thing about J- Jerry Kill, the, the like uh, us noticing that he's just he's been wearing the uh, support the troops gear for like five weeks now. He he got the uh, the military appreciation day gear and, and and never took it off. I heard it got back. So like they, it, it's it's a thing they like they like to celebrate. So that's awesome. Um, speaking of of staffs who, who listen to our, our our show, we actually have a surprising number. I don't know. Like, like these guys are busy, but they're not busy enough to, to to miss the cover three podcast. So, look, Auburn offensively, this is where I think they have problems. Okay, like the O line is not particularly good. Thorne is not a good quarterback at all. Um, their receivers have not caught the football effectively this year. Like they've had drop problems. They've had problems getting open against one on one stuff. Bama's really good in coverage. But don't you have to think that Freeze has been? Like, how do you? How do you mail in that game last week? And I'll, I'll do credit to New Mexico State. Like, that's a well-coached team, unique scheme on both sides of the ball. They play really hard. Pavia is a, you know, a, a pretty pretty awesome you know, quarterback for, for what he is. That's still somewhat on Auburn, right, for, like, not taking that thing seriously. Yeah, there's three – I think three or four games where I am – 
uh, my antenna is up or spotty sensors are going crazy that we should not overreact to what may have been a sandbag sandbagging effort in terms of in leading into a game that arguably means more, right? Like yeah. that maybe just a little bit more time of prep was being worked on what you're going to do against Alabama than what you're going to do against, as you mentioned in this case for Auburn, New Mexico State, a super unique scheme where maybe they thought like, instead of spending all this time crunching how we're going to have our counter to it, let's go try to run our stuff and just be better because we have better players. And it just ended up biting them in the ass. This is 100% Hugh Freeze's MO, by the way. Like I went through and looked at it. He has some of these games where he's a big favorite. Now, they usually didn't lose him. But like he would, I don't say if he wouldn't take them seriously, his team would really underperform when they when they had something big coming up. Like there there are some pretty clear examples of it. So, um, you know, it, it, it's now if you look at his old Miss thing, it, it it basically is all these zero win seasons because they had to vacate some wins. But um, like I, you know, we we know the games got played. Don't you think he's got some like how many points can he scheme up against Bama? Can they well, get can they get to twenty? Mm. not it feels hard yeah that feels hard i was gonna say he can scheme up two splash touchdown plays and three scoring drives and i think that's it yeah so they're gonna need turnovers special team scores that type of thing which is possible yeah i mean like bama on the road has not been especially good for about three years now um do you know what i was you know what I was thinking about? The Iron Bowl, you know, it's got so much like history to it. It's got so many great players. One of my just personal favorites from recent history is Quinnen Williams. Nice. He's got like awesome personality. You know, it was so good. We thought it'd be cool to talk to Quinnen Williams. Yo, let's talk to Quinnen Williams. Did we get him? So 11 a.m. Eastern time on Saturday. Day of the Iron Bowl, we are going to be hosting a very special pregame hangout for the Iron Bowl, 11 a.m. Eastern time, like our regular recording time, but we're going to be doing it on Saturday. And Quinn and Williams, Alabama great along the defensive line, will has, is scheduled to be one of our guests. We're very excited that we were able to get Quinnen on board. So yeah, we will be asking him his thoughts about this year's Alabama team, this year's Iron Bowl game, and you know some of his own memories um, from his time at Alabama. Of course, he was a part of some tremendous teams for the Crimson Tide. Uh, it will be great to get his perspective. So again, 11 a.m. Eastern time on Saturday. We'll be hosting it at youtube.com slash cover three. It will also be available on Twitter. Uh, we'll continue to promote that all leading into the week. Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, special pregame hangout for the Iron Bowl, Alabama great Quinnen Williams uh, will be joining us as well. Very excited for that. Um, any other sort of final matchup thoughts here for the Crimson Tide and the Tigers? I mean, how much do you want to show? Like, does Bama need style points? No. Uh, it's, are, are you I, sure they don't need style points? I think they could always use them. In if a they tight look five, like an absolute killing machine, yeah, like – because. Don't if forget, got a chance to run it up on freeze. Don't forget, they could be in a scenario, right? Even if they win the SEC, where if there's undefeated, you know, Power Five champs, and there's three of them, and that you know they're they're comparing resume, and then you have the Texas loss, and Texas is a mm-hmm. one loss champ. 
Like you need every point of emphasis you can get. Like you yeah, want to like, be able to say we we because their biggest sell is we are a different team now than we were back in September when we played Texas and lost. Look how much better we are. We just blew out Auburn on the road by three touchdowns. Like I I do think it matters. I I think they are looking for style points. Although I don't know if Saban's that type. Do you think he is? I mean, so, maybe if last year him I I'm, I mean all he has to do is think about having to make his case on national champion you know, on during the. Fox Big Ten Championship game, how embarrassing that was for that him. That was embarrassing, yeah. Yeah, he's probably like, man, I don't want to have to do that again. Let me just make my case here on the field. Still feels still feels like that's a tough ask to just go in there and blast them. Just with... Yeah, I agree. With everything that's going on. You know, I mentioned the 2015 game being the outlier. That game was still 29 to 13. And they had already taken a loss that year too. They were sitting at yeah. number two going into the game, so they probably felt good about their you know chances for the playoff. But that was another one where the the goal is to win the football game. You know, some classic old school football coach type stuff. If it's a double digit win, if it's comfortable, you're you're going to be playing field position um, in the second half. I do think the start of the game matters. Mm-hmm. because the longer as the underdog and a you know throwaway season for Auburn where you're kind of, you just lost in New Mexico State, you're feeling sorry for yourself, they're going to be up for this game. Don't get me wrong, crowd will be up for it. But if they go down 14-3 early, there does become a quit factor. Like, oh, this is embarrassing. And I think today's player more than ever, you know, you're getting your money, you know, you're just, you're kind of used to, you know, whether it's playing PlayStation, you hit reset, like you're just ready to check out. I think you see that way more often now. I do think there's a quit factor uh, in a lot of these games where home crowd is going to be huge. Then you start hearing rumblings, you know, people leaving gets like the blowout factor does become real. So you got to take care of them early because the longer they're hanging around, they're believing like, hey, we're still excited. We're still excited to be here. This could salvage our season, our season. But if they start getting run, the quit factor could be real. 100 percent. Friday. Oregon, Oregon State. Hold up. Danny's got to leave. Can we? Yeah, we. I'll just get a quick thought on Florida State, Florida, because I'm sure some people may want to hear that. I mean, it's not the biggest game of the weekend, but it is huge for Florida State. I just put a note for you guys in the chat. I I think, you know, as far as quarterbacks go, both backups, like don't forget Max Brown is playing in place of Graham Mertz. I would expect both, and I was mostly a backup throughout my career in the NFL, and I'll never forget Steve DeBerg told me this as a rookie because I was backing up Dave Brown, and I'd gotten in some games, and he he would spend extra time just with me going over blitz pickup like that's all we worked on because he's like when you are a backup they're going to test you early and often he's like and if you respond if you make them pay or even if you just don't get sacked and it's a first down throw or you extend a drive they'll stop like they'll let oh he gets it he know like we we have to be more cautious but if you don't they'll keep bringing pressure so like both of these quarterbacks have to be dialed in with their blitz pickup packages like what protections am i solid where am I hot? Where am I vulnerable? Where is my quick throw? Where do I need to get rid of the football? And whichever one handles that better will be more equipped to have success in this game. And just an afterthought too, I do think Tate Rodemaker has so much, he has such a better supporting cast around him of weapons on the exterior. And I do think like you got Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman on the outside, got Jaheim Bell, like there's a full complement of characters. But I do think the best thing that Norvell could do is make this a Trey Benson game. Like let's like physicality. Let's get the run game going. Let's take some of the pressure off so that you're in better third down situations because 
there's a tendency for a younger quarterback, third and 10, third and 11, to feel like I got to convert this. When I think Jordan Travis would be more comfortable taking a sack, getting five yards, let's punt it away. There's always that tendency, I got to get this first. And so you got to keep them out, both of these quarterbacks, you have to keep them out of those third and long situations. Awesome. All right, DK, happy birthday. Right, got to you. See you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Four or five, yeah. it's a big one. <laughs> Point shaving Danny, trying to <laughs> shave numbers off. <laughs> See ya. Later. Um, all right, bud. I thought I was in a – let's stay with this <clears throat> game, by the way, since, right. since we're here. Um, I honestly thought I was in a fever dream because I saw Missouri's last drive Saturday night live, and we talked about it on the Instant Reaction Show. I did not see the full game and sort of piece it all together until um, Sunday into Monday. I thought I was in a fever dream when I saw that Max Brown was the quarterback. Cause you know what I thought USC and Pitt quarterback, Max Brown, Max Brown. Oh, with an yeah. e. I thought we were going to be, I was like, Max Brown still got eligibility, but no, it's not Max Brown um, with an E Max Brown. No E is a uh, three-star former three-star prospect out of Tulsa. So what do we know about Max Brown? What was your evaluation of him? So I thought he operated the offense for the Gators pretty well. Um, he looks more athletic uh, than Mertz uh, looked. He, he you know, ran around pretty well, made a couple throws. I, I think we'll see like a lot of Florida zone run game and probably some boot action off it. Uh, I, I think I like Florida's uh, outside receivers a little bit better than Danny. I mean, I, I think Pearsall and Wilson are, are really nice players. After that, certainly there, there's a drop-off. I don't know that Florida has you know three or four Pass catching weapons who, who you love. I think both their backs are really good, Johnson and uh, and Etienne. I I would expect Florida to try to play a slower tempo game here. I, I don't think they want to expose their defense to a, a lot of, of tempo there. Um, but I I think Florida will probably have some success on offense if their offensive tackles play. Mm. To me, that's the handicap in this ball game because if you don't have Barber and you don't have George. Let's refer to our preseason notes. We weren't real high on George anyway, but we knew that Florida took him because their, uh, you know, their their offensive line depth w- was rather poor. And one place where we know FSU is good is at defensive end. Jared Verse is you know, a really good player, and especially against the run too this year. Uh, and Pat Payton has improved a whole lot. I mean, he's rookie of the year last year in ACC, and and he's followed it up with a, you know, with a strong season. So. Um, to me, that's kind of what it comes down to. Teams don't carry like three or four good offensive tackles unless your name's like Georgia. So if it's no Barber and no George, I'm a little bit concerned for Florida's ability to block. Now, FSU's also been banged up. Obviously, Renardo Green was in a sling. Deloach, the same. So, you know, we'll see. Like, those are impact guys for you on defense who you may not have. Uh, but we'll we'll see how it goes. FSU has faced like seven straight backup quarterbacks, and so this will be eight. Um, they have done a pretty good job of shutting down backups this year, but Florida has better personnel than almost everybody they've faced with the exception of LSU, I think. Um, although Miami's offensive line clearly better than, you know, Gators line with a bunch of backups. Yeah. We, On the flip uh, side, oh, sorry, all this, I was going to say, we spent all this time talking about who the next TCU is going to be. Um, it's not a Cinderella. It's a program with three national championships. Yeah, exactly. Dude. Um, On the flip side, to me, Tate's a clear big downgrade from Jordan. Mm-hmm. I I don't think you'd be like looking at portal guys for quarterback 
if you if you thought like you had immense faith in Tate. But I do think that they have enough faith faith in Tate to where they think they can go score some points here. Florida's defense has been really inconsistent. I think you want to get those guys moving. Um, they have worn down in the second half of some of these games pretty hard. Uh, they don't have great D-line depth. So you will see how FSU's offensive line plays there, and we'll see how Tate plays. I, I would give Tate early play action shots. Like establishing the run is cool, but I, got, I want to avoid those third and tens. And I think if you hit explosive plays, you're okay with some punts. Just need to avoid the turnovers, right? Um, and that's that's probably their formula for winning. They do have a lot of weapons. Uh, Man, Florida's defense, Denny's exactly right. They blitz a ton. And they I don't know if they have the personnel or should do that, but you know, their pass rush with the down four has not been great. Mm-hmm. Um the one DN they have is really good, but the other the other side is is kind of lacking in their you know, their interior guys are a little better against the run than they are at the pass. So you know, we'll see if you can get some, hit, hit some early play action shots and, and how much tempo FSU is able to use. I I think it's a I mean, the line feels about right, you know. I don't know how you have like a, a bunch of faith in a backup quarterback to go into the swamp and blow them out. I mean, it's going to be so sloppy. I'm, I'm expecting so many penalties. I mean, yeah. it's just the the kind of game that if you're Florida State is incredibly nervy, you know. But if you're Florida, all you're trying to do is play spoiler. I'm um, mm-hmm. special. Like, give, give, give me like over over. 0.5 special teams defensive touchdowns in this game. I mean, that's kind of the recipe for it, right? You have athletes and you have two backup quarterbacks. Yeah. A lot, lot of who's who's going to who's going to do less dumb in Florida. Yeah. Right. On a Saturday night. It's Flor- Thanksgiving it's, weekend. It's weird to ask this, but like is Florida's head in this? I'm assuming they are. I think so. I think so too, but like I don't know. There, there was some weird, just like maybe that's just who they are as far as mental errors, you know. But like running out of bounds on that last drive, doing the incomplete sign instead of going to tackle the guy on fourth and seventeen, like what? I don't know. Some, some weird vibes. Last year's game. Last year's game. That's our. I mean, obviously, extremely small sample size. Last year's game should not have been as close as it was. Richardson was awesome. I mean, like, but like Florida, the whole team looked like they were into it. You know, yeah. like they they went into Florida State as decidedly the worst team of the two, but yeah. we're like, nah, man, we like we're here and very much dialed in, and that's my data point that I'm using to think that emotionally, mentally, they're going to get fired up. I mean, it's you're you live I there, mean, not what? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, like you live there. Yeah. The, everything. It's to go to a bowl game, assuming that you want it, right? Everything that they say about the these in-state rivalries, where you know all the guys on the other roster and there's all this familiarity back and forth. You don't want to lose. You want to go out there and, and perform your best. You don't want to get embarrassed. Yeah. Come on. Families are watching. All right. Friday night, uh, Oregon, Oregon State. What do you think Oregon State, after a really tough loss at home in Corvallis, what do you think the the path is here? Because again, we're dealing with a situation where they are double digit underdog. They are on the road in Austin. Their proximity to Oregon in the rankings is much closer than it is in Las Vegas on the the odds board. So you know how can how can the Beavers close that gap uh, against the Ducks? Can they get some rain again? No, That's I've looked at I- the, I've looked at the weather. It does not look like. I mean, you you always have the potential. 
in the Pacific Northwest of being able to catch a little bit of rain. I mean, even in Corvallis, they weren't expecting it to be that hard um, until we got a little bit into the game. I, I don't, I don't think that weather will be a huge factor. They did push them around last game, last time they played, right? I mean, that was Oregon State was like, hey, we're more physical than you guys. Yeah, Oregon you know, State ran the same running play like 13 yeah. times in a row in the second half. You know the Dan Landing, like, hey, they're, they're flash, we're substance type thing? Jonathan Smith could have said that last year going into that game. Mm-hmm. Now, Oregon's defense looks better, right? Uh, I don't know if their safeties are amazing, so maybe you get those guys in space and make them tackle and, and maybe you hit them some play action. But, I, man, I think the weapons on the outside are, are different for Oregon than they are for Oregon State, and, and that, that, could be, that could be a problem. For the Beavers, Oregon also starts fast, typically, and I don't think that's a, a, something that Oregon State uh, is particularly equipped to deal with. So you, you need to be the team that starts fast if you're Oregon State. And I don't mean like, hey, go up 17 nothing, but like get the first score, hold the ball, maybe get a three and out, hold it again, score. That, that, that kind of get Oregon off its game script. So uh, that's probably the most important part of it to me. I, Oregon looks pretty good. Um you know, they also haven't played a whole bunch of really good teams. No, I, I think Oregon State and Washington have faced tougher roads to get to this moment than Oregon has based on the conference draw. Completely agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The Oregon defensive line is huge for me. We know that Oregon State's offensive line is a strength and a big reason of uh, why Damian Martinez has been able to be so successful. Also, you get those early down stops, you force DJU into third and long situations, and you're able to get some of your best pass rushers to try to get in there. That The best Oregon's defense has looked is when they just look fast and nasty on both sides of the ball. I mean, it's like much love. I've, I've given a lot of you know shout outs in the last couple episodes to you know not only Bo Nix, but Troy Franklin, but that Bucky Irving, Jordan James, one-two punch behind one of the best offensive lines in the country. The defensive line being able to just like pin your ears back and get after it. Like that speed and nastiness that Oregon is able to play with at the line of scrimmage is is something that makes Oregon special. It's why a lot of power ratings are calling Oregon like a like a top three, top five team. I mean, that's not crazy based on their actual rankings, but um, the, the Ducks look like they have been getting better. They were rated as basically the same as Washington on a neutral earlier in the season. Now they're looking like they're about a touchdown ahead of them. To me, that that's really what I've seen is the way that they can show their teeth, admittedly, against um, competition that has not been as good. So Oregon State's offensive line against Oregon's defensive line, keeping DJU from those obvious pass rush situations just seems so big because – that's where it can start spinning out of control and you're you're not going to feel as good about your chances to hang in the game if it if it just starts to go where you know Bo Nix is scoring every single time they get the ball you're always in third and long and you know that that's where i think they can put you in say night night pretty early on i mean how many how many good passing games has Oregon State faced I mean, they, Washington clearly, but that was in a weird rainstorm. Right. Do we define Colorado as still good with, with how they were blocking at the time? And that was the the, the game that they decided they were going to be a heavy run team. Remember when when they fired Sean? Well, demoted Sean Lewis. Right. Um, Stanford, no. I think Arizona's pretty decent pass game. They, they lost that one. Uh, UCLA, no. Cal, no. Utah, definitely not. Like 
at Washington State, they gave up 38. I, I am a little skeptical of these Oregon State corners. Mm, I got you. Like, go back to Cam Ward back when Washington State was good. This is why, like, stats analysis can be tougher to do in college than NFL. Because NFL, everybody has pro-level players. Right. You can kind of see stuff. Like, there's certainly instances where a team gets to week seven in the NFL and they haven't really played you – know, haven't played anybody. But in college, there's sometimes you only see, like, really high-quality athletes, like, twice in a season. So, it, back to our conversation about, like, Ohio State-Michigan, right? Um, can you block a really good D-line? You know, can you cover good receivers? I think Oregon's got some guys who can really go. Yeah. Um, should be a lot of fun. All right. Tuesday night, about 7.30 Eastern time. Maybe get started a little bit early with our instant reaction to the new college football playoff rankings. Then Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern time for our rivalry week locks. Remember, not Thursday, Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. We're going to be doing our week 13 locks Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, special Iron Bowl Hangout Live. YouTube.com slash Cover 3. Of course, make sure you're subscribed. Quinn and Williams among the cavalcade of stars that will be stopping by. We're very excited about that. Very excited to let you know. We hope you come join us. And you can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Bud, thank you very much. Enjoy Chip. set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.